I'm Lawrence Duhon, missions pastor here, most of you know that, but uh, we've got guests here with us that are going to help in this session, uh, Steve and Pat Nelson, I'll let them introduce themselves and their, their ministry a little bit later, but the pro- purpose of this session is to understand for you an update on what's going on with the uh, Yalunka people in Mali, West Africa, and I'll give you a little history of that, there's a little uh, note page on there if you want to take notes. It's You can find it under Fruitful Ministry in Mali or something like that. But um, our church, when I came in 2006, was uh, desirous of adopting and evangelizing an unreached people group. And during the time of the fall in 2006, we were introduced to uh, West Africa in general and specifically the needs of the Yalunka people of Mali, West Africa. And you've got a, a little thing on your your note page there at the very bottom, a little bitty picture of Africa with Mali highlighted in case you're geographically challenged and don't know where that is. But uh, it, it's a country of, what, about 11 million or so in uh in West Africa, it's 1.8 times the size of Texas. So it's a big place, but a bunch of that is open desert, the Sahara Desert. And the fact of the matter is where we are is in the far southwestern corner of Mali. That is uh, adjacent to the nations of Guinea and Senegal. So here we are in that corner of mostly forgotten country, one of the poorest countries in the world, among a people that at that time when we were there had uh, basically no access to the gospel message. And there, at the time, we thought there weren't any uh, believers, but we found that there's a couple of guys that had come to Christ several years earlier. We found out later that we're still following the Lord. But uh, we just went in there as a church with... Uh, some African partners, and they said, we have some good news from you for, for you from the Creator God, and began telling the story of, of the Gospel. And during that time, you know, it, it took a while before the first person came to Christ. In fact, it was about 15 months, I guess, from or something like that, 14, 15 months from the first trip, 13 maybe, that uh, the, the first believers were baptized through our ministry. That was actually our fourth trip there as a church. And um, Keith Arnett is here. He's been uh, in with this since the beginning. Actually, been there more times than I have. So he can add some, some insight in history as well. But uh, and Elisa has been a number of times. How many times have you been? Like four? Seven? Okay. It adds up. Yeah. Seven times. So it's great. And uh, we, I figured out that we have right around 18 or 19 people from our church that have gone on these trips over 25 different trips because we like to have the same people go back over and over again. So it's, um, you know, consistent and build the relationships with the people and everything. But um, during this time that our church was involved, there had been other people involved with before us. Uh, 
The IMB was involved there for a number of years in, in West Africa, but they weren't targeting a specific people group, but they had uh, work among some of the Ilunka villages. And then, uh, since at least the early 70s, New Tribes Mission in Senegal was involved with uh, the Ilunka people there, and people had been translating the scripture and learning their worldview and that kind of thing. And those people are still there, many of them. And then in Guinea, if you look on the page that has the map, not the map that's a single sheet, but the one that's in your book, you can see a um, little shaded area of uh, Mali. But if you look at the one that's the colorful one that's a single sheet, if you picked it up, it has Guinea, and, and they both have Guinea on them, but Guinea is a, a different country, obviously, but they have some of the same people with a slightly different dialect. And we had a group from Pioneer Bible Translators working to translate the Scripture down there by the leader was Greg Pruitt, who's now the president of that organization. And he personally, through his, um, his team, translated the entire Old and New Testament and has it in print through that. So, these resources were going on in parallel, and while that was happening, the group Fellowship of Evangelical Churches was praying about how to get involved and to reach the Ilunka people as well. So I'm going to leave this right now with uh, Steve and Pat to share. Why don't we go ahead and show the little video. This is just a little three-minute clip. While he's getting that ready, I'll just tell you that in 2006 was when we first uh, heard about the Yalanka people, the need among the Yalanka people. We were invited to come down in uh, southern Guinea. Uh, working with Pioneer Bible Translators was another denomination called Missionary Church USA. And they had uh, several missionaries uh, working there in another area, but close to where the Pioneer Bible Translators had been working, but they were targeting some other, another group of villages. And they had invited us because their headquarters is in Fort Wayne, off, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, like ours is, and we knew them well, have known for many years. And so we connected with them. They were the ones that invited us first to come and see what was going on among the Yelunka and the great need. And it was during that time, the first couple of years of our participation among the Yelunka, we were stomping around in Guinea with the missionary church missionaries, trying to figure out where we would fit into the whole program to see the Yelunka reach for Christ. Knowing that new tribes were working among the Yelunka up in Senegal, farther north of us. So if, what's interesting is because since the early days when, of colonialism, they, with the political boundaries dividing the Yelunka nation into Sierra Leone, Guinea, Senegal, and Mali, uh, that has put a lot of barriers, I should say, for free travel among the Yelunka nation. And so missionaries had to choose where they were going to go and work because of the visas and so forth crossing borders. So it was during that time that we found out no other mission organization that, that we were aware of was targeting the Yelunka people of Mali. And, then, and we also found out that it was, the dialect was a little different uh, north. And at that time, when we first heard about that, we didn't even realize that this church, individually by themselves, were targeting the Yelunka of Mali. And we found that out a little bit later as we went up and did a, an exploratory trip. So our first exploratory trip among the Yelunka of Mali was in 2011. By that time, you guys had been out there quite a few times. 
So he's got a little video here. It's just a little intro video to show you a little bit about our experiences there. So from 2011, where, where we began with the first exploratory trip, we were actually landed in Bamako, and it was Avant Ministries, who is a long-established um, mission work in Mali, the, the country of Mali, who had invited us, said, if you want to find the Yalanka of Mali, we will help you. We know where they are. We're not targeting them, but we will help you. And so come to, to Bamako. So we did. They loaned us a vehicle. They were supposed to help us find a translator, and that fell through a week before we left. <laughs> we found out that the, some, there was a, a death in the family of the man who was going to go with us to be our translator, uh, who spoke Yalanka language himself, the Jalanka, the northern dialect. And uh, so he had a death in his family. He said, I'm going back to my home village to spend time with my family. So we thought, oh, no, now what do we do? So we began praying, okay, Lord, we've already bought tickets. We've had tickets and visas and things like that set up for a long time. People had taken their vacation time. I had three other pastors who were going with me on that trip. Anyway, through, the, through New Tribe's mission, they found a Yalunka man in Katigu over in the, across the border in Senegal and said, he's willing to go with you. If you, want to, uh, if you want to come over and pick him up. So we drove over to Senegal. That was our first meeting with Samba, our translator, who's in a, you'll see him in the video quite often. He's the, the one with the open Bible because he can read. He actually went to school through the seventh grade and reads French very well. Doesn't read his own language yet because it's just now beginning. We just now have a few of the books of the Bible in his language. And so he's beginning to start to, to learn that for the which seems odd to us, you know, it's hard to believe. Wow, you speak your, your own language is written now and you can't... But he has to learn all those, all those symbols and, and things. It's quite different than French. So it's quite interesting. But anyway, I want to go back to our, our visit. The important thing here is, as we went for our very first time exploring through those, the mountains of Mali, we went to, we were looking for Yalanka villages. And as we found villages... We would always ask to speak to the chief and the elders, and uh, then we would sit down with them and share with them that we had a message from the great creator and that we were willing to learn their language and to come back and share that with them if they invited us to come back. And we said, if you don't invite us, it's okay. Don't worry. We'll, we'll find villages. We're just looking for the villages that are interested in hearing this word. And we had uh, responses from the chiefs and the elders of villages, things like, you have word from the big creator, we're sitting here waiting. We need to hear this word. You have to come back and, and teach us this word. Uh, the, first, the very first Yalanka chief that we sat down with, we told our story, we spent about an hour basically giving a synopsis of the gospel and why we would want to come back and share that. And uh, he, he scratched his beard and he says, I'm an old man. He says, and I have gained much in this world. And he waved his arm at all his huts. We were sitting in his compound, surrounded by his huts and his wives and children, probably a hundred <laughs> children. Lots of, he, this man has a lot of, we've been back there many times. He has a, a large family. And he said, but I told the great creator years ago that if he ever sent a missionary to our village, that we would embrace him and we would listen to him. After we picked our jaw back up off the ground, he said, now that's just my opinion. You have to hear from the elders of this village. And he said, our village is a split village, he says. And he, they're actually north of the river, Mamaduya. You know where that is. And it, their village is, is half Malinke and half Yalanka. But they have a, a Yalanka chief. 
And he said, you have to hear from the elders. So we, later that night, we sat in another compound and with the, surrounded by 16 of the elders and, and the chief himself. And he opened it up and told them that why we had come. And uh, he told us to share our story. So we did the whole thing again, that hour-long presentation. Shared with him why we were there. And, uh, and then he just sat there. The chief sat there quietly. And one by one, every one of the elders said, made, started making comments. Every one of them voted, you have to come. We need you here. They said things like, this, is a, this village is half Malinke, half, half Yalunka, and it's only this word from the big creator that's ever going to bring us peace. They would say things like that. They, would say, they said that over the, over the, the years that their, their tribes had, had fought each other and that there has always been uh, unrest, unrest, always fighting to see who's going to be on top, the Malinke or the Yalunka. And they said that, uh, they said, only this word from the big creator. They said, they invited us to come. They said, our children have to know this word. They have to learn this word from the big creator so that someday we can be a peaceful village. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the big surprise in this, about number 13 or 14, somewhere in that lineup, one elder said, I'm already on the Jesus road. And after picking our jaw up off the ground again, we said, how did that happen? And he said that he was traveling and that he had heard this message of the great creator and that he knew that he wanted to follow Jesus. And so he had, he had given his life to Christ to follow Jesus. But he said, I've been living here now in, this, in our village for years since that, and I don't know anything about it. I don't know how to follow him. I don't know how to share it with my brothers and, and the people in our village. He says, you have to come back and teach this so that we can all know what this is about. He says, I'm the only believer in this village. We were shocked. Well, I jump ahead several years. Just this past year, we've gone back to visit them, that village many times, and we always see him. And just this past year, I found out who it was that led him to Christ. It was the Norwegian missionaries who are working in an area to the, to the uh, east of, of the area where we are, in Tambaga area, which is about halfway between the area we're working in Bamako, there's a large mission, a Norwegian Lutheran uh, mission there, and that's where he heard the gospel. Well, since we have been through two wars <laughs> in the last few years in Mali, the Malian wars, and we ended up evacuating, and now we actually live on the Senegal side of the border and travel back and forth because of all the problems in, in Mali. It's a mess politically. Well, because of that, the Norwegians have also set up their base in Kedigu now, and we have now met the Norwegian missionaries who led this man to Christ and got to share, share that with him. <laughs> no, so the main thing here, I guess, and in, in we're trying to just keep this in, in brief summary form because we want you to be able to ask questions. But it was then, then about, uh, I think it was before our first trip in about 2010 that we found out through a common interest through Rita Salter, I think it was, that uh, that. Keith and Lawrence had been there with different teams. And so we began to connect there, back here in the States, and talk back and forth and talk about who's doing what and so forth. Now, one thing that, I, that I'm still excited about to this day, because we, we have, through the time that we have been there, okay, so over the last uh, five years, through our travels, we have, we have a few villages that we overlap where they have had been, and, and one of them, of course, is the like the county seat, Falia, is the big village, big Yelunka village in that whole territory. But 
this church also has several villages that, we have, that we're not targeting. So we have some target villages where we're doing a, a system called Simply the Story, which is, this is a very a primary oral culture. Very seldom do we find people, or when we do, it's, a, it's certainly the tiniest percentage of people that read at all. And so we're working among primary oral learners. So everything that we do, we, we have to do orally. So we're teaching God's Word, and through simply the story method, uh, it's a teaching method, we story, the word, we story God's Word. And we, can, we have, it's been proven and it's working well, that people, you can give people God's Word in their hearts without them having to read. And it's, this past year is the first year that, this last dry season, where we had enough of the language that we could actually story in their language, in their tongue, and we have been teaching. We've been visiting there a lot, building relationships, doing a lot of teaching from God's Word. But now we have actually started the process of teaching. We have 296 stories that we intend to teach them from the first chapter of Genesis to the very end of Revelation. We will teach them accurately and systematically through the Bible. We're also sharing the gospel. We have time to teach, and so we, we share the stories. But we want them to learn it in a way that as they send out their children to get educated, and the government right now is more and more, they're putting teachers in villages. And so just in the last five years, we've seen incredible increase in the amount of schools there are in, in villages, and the larger villages, of course, first. So there's a lot more opportunity for people to uh, send their kids to get education. We want them, when they start reading the Bible, we want them to read exactly the same stories that we have taught them, and we want them to understand it in the progression that is given to us. So that's why we use simply the story. Uh, we, when we teach a story, we, at first we thought we were going to just single out the storyteller for each village, who the person who's responsible for the oral history of the village, and teach that person and have him teach. But we found out it doesn't work that way in that culture. So we adjust. What works in that culture is you come and you sit down and you start teaching and the whole village starts coming. <laughs> and, the, and the cool thing is they're all there and they're all interacting. And simply the story is a very interactive method of teaching. So you, you tell the story once and then you have them, someone stand up and tell it back. And then and it doesn't have to be accurate because then you're going to correct it. You're going to retell the story again leaving blanks and pieces or telling things in reverse to get the interaction of the crowd, the people around you, and they absolutely love it. They dance and shout and clap and, and yell for the people who get the answers right and things, you know, who fill in the, the details of the story. It's, a, it's fantastic, and they just love it. And sometimes we can hardly get them to quit. We've been up till midnight more than once where they just didn't want to stop asking questions. So, And another part of the method, which we, I really like, is that whenever anyone asks any question, even if it's, if, it's a, uh, if it's off the story, you always lead them back to the story. We say, that's a great question, but let's stick to what's in this story. Right now we're discussing this story, so if it's not related to this story, then you just keep them asking, so you, keep, you stay on target. Otherwise, you'd be 6 o'clock in the morning, you'd still be on, on rabbit trails. So it, it's a very effective... Uh, and the part I love the best is that they teach us what we call, we call them the wise counselor questions. So after you teach the story and have them tell it back, and then you tell it again accurately with their help, 
And then you start asking, verse by verse, you start asking questions about every, part, every piece and part of the story. You can put two or three verses together because of the way the Bible is. If, if you need to, to keep a, a subject or, a, you know, a, to keep a, a, a detail of the story whole. So we divide it up into small segments, ask uh, what we call spiritual observation questions, getting them to choose the water that to identify spiritual observations about what has been shared. And after they, they do that, we never give those. We always ask them from the crowd. And after they give their spiritual observations, then we do go, move into spiritual applications. And that is the most fun of all because the amazing thing is that God's Word, as you well know, is so practical in our lives. From creation to revelation, it all is practical. And you see God in every story. And that's what we ask. Where do we see God in this? The big creator, you know, where do we see him? Where do we see the interaction? What happened by the choices that people made? You know, what choices were made and what choices could have been made? Could they have done things differently? Sometimes you have characters in the Bible who make terrible choices, and sometimes you have people who make wonderful choices, but they're tempted to make terrible choices. So you see, the spiritual application is always, well, can we see how that, you know, is relative to your life today? Have you ever seen anybody in this situation? Have you ever seen an activity where something like this may have happened? Or can you tell me a story about someone else where you have seen this happen? It's just, and they love it. They love it. And so <laughs> what has happened so far? We've only been teaching now this way for one, one dry season. But what has happened so far is that every time when wits go, they gather around us like this. Oh, you have to come back. Come back soon. Come back sooner. You need to find more people who will come. Okay, right there is the rub, you guys. Listen, the harvest is ripe. The workers are few. We need people who will come. And we're saying, whoever God raises up to come out who's willing, and they have to be called of God because you're not going to live in those kind of conditions very long if you're not sure you're called of God. It's hard. It's a hard life. But the rewards are definitely worth it. We call it treasures along the path. And they are incredible. And it keeps us motivated and going back because we're seeing people come to Christ. In this last dry season, we had the very first time where we went to a, to a village and they showed us a hut that they had built where they could, a new, on neutral ground so that they could meet and pray and, have their, and worship together. They built it. They didn't ask us if they should. They didn't ask us for any money. They built it themselves. And they took us out to show us this as if it's no big deal. And I'm all of a sudden, I'm realizing, oh, my goodness, God just built his first Yelunka church. You know, and it, and it doesn't have FEC or First Baptist Church or it doesn't say anything over the door. It's, it's just open and welcome. It's neutral. It's, and that's what, you know, establishing, reproducing communities of Christ followers. We don't care whose name is on it. They can name it anything they want to. doesn't matter as long as the Holy Spirit is leading it. So it's a, it's a powerful thing. The other first for us this year was the first time that we've had a Yolanka man lead another man to Christ. And, uh, one, and so we were in a village way down on the Guinea border, uh, Medina, and uh, we went back expecting to baptize two new believers who had just come to Christ, and we had talked to them about it. They wanted to share what had happened with their family before they were baptized. So we said, well, next month when we come back, we'll, you know, if you want, we'll, we'll baptize you then. And we talked to them about that, why it's important, and that it needs to be a public expression of, of their faith. Taking a stand, you know, because we have to, every time someone comes to Christ, these guys can tell you, 
you have to take time to teach them. It's, it's not adding this to what you already do. It's leaving Islam behind. You have to leave Islam behind. You have to leave the witch doctors behind. Somebody gets sick, you talk to the big creator. You don't go to the witch doctor. You know, and that takes some time to explain that. So anyway, we went back on our, second, on our third trip, I think, that season to this village expecting to baptize two believers. And the first man came to us when we met him, and, and we said, you still want to be baptized? And he said, oh, yes. But he says, not just me. He says, I was talking to my friend, and I was telling him what happened to me, and he wanted to follow this Jesus too. So I explained to him the same things you told me, and he accepted that. And he, so I prayed with him the same prayer you prayed with me, and now he's a believer, and he wants to be baptized, so let's baptize him with us. We said, yeah, that's great. So we went and we talked to him and to make sure that he, you know, part of it was we were just dumbfounded. And the other part was we wanted to make sure that he knew what he was doing. That this, you know, it wasn't just because his friend had done it and he understood. As we went through the story and through all the things that we were teaching him, he was just, he was, yeah, he told me that. Yeah, that's the way he said it. Yeah, that's what he told me. You know, there is something we're learning, I think, right now. We're learning something. Spirit of the living word, of the living God, the power of the word, but also something else that we have begun to realize this, this year, more since we started storing more than ever before, is that oral learners listen carefully. The detail. Ashley, our, the young gal that works with us, she's on our team. She's an incredible person. She has learned this language so well. She's doing so great with it. And... She was out there, she was teaching the, the I don't know, this is this first time or not, but early on, after she shared a story one night, she, uh, she finished her story and, this, this, and asked for the volunteer. He stood up, he retold the story, and I said to Ashley, she was following in, in her uh, book that she had, and she was following it, and uh, I said to Ashley, I said, how accurate was that? And she looked at me and she says, almost word for word. He had only heard it one time, retold the story. And since that time, we've been watching that, and it's amazing. Every once in a while, they, they stumble, and usually it's somebody in the crowd that helps to correct them. But it is amazing how, how well they listen. When they hear something, they're listening, which is just so encouraging to us because, you know, what an incredible target audience, people who learn, are learning this. To, to us, it says... This is, this is going to work. This, this works well. God can not only can, is it, you know, yes, God, God does it, but he's already prepared them in advance for this. They don't have to read. They can have God's word in their heart without ever being able to read. It's just incredible. It's an amazing thing to watch. So, anyway, you guys probably have a lot of questions. Uh, what we're doing, we're still trying to figure this out. What works best, what works with our health, uh, how much time we need for preparation and so forth. Right now, as from last uh, season, we determined that we're, we're better off if we do just try to do two villages at a time. So we go out and we spend two or three nights in any village that we're in. And we're always ready to do another night if they want. But we also realize that they have work to do too. They have to farm, they have to dig for gold, they have all the things that they do. So we don't want to overstay our welcome. So we're finding that if we teach two stories, if we teach one story the first night, and sometimes we don't always get to teach the first, because it's, you don't get to, sometimes they don't get word out quick enough. 
So we're willing to stay a third night, but we're trying to teach two stories each in each village each time we go. Then we move on to another village, and by the time we've been out there five or six days, we're really ready to eat something besides peanut sauce and, uh, and to get all the other internal systems working again. And so we come back home to recuperate and prepare for the next journey out. And I don't know if we'll keep doing that. If we, We've tried doing three villages in a stretch because there's an urgency. You know, you really want to get there, and they're so hungry for the word. And it's exciting to go to the next village already, you know, because you know they're just waiting for you to get there. So I don't know. We're still working at it to try to figure out what. So we're staying five or six days each time we go out right now. At least that seems to be a good fit. Come back for a week or so, 10 days, recuperate, do the things that we need to do, prepare ourselves for the next trip and go again. And so that's kind of, does that answer your question? So we'll see. We're, we, we have a plan. We hold it loosely. That's I'll uh, share a little more about what's going on from our church's perspective as well. Um, I would echo what Steve said about the length of time there. We've tried different things, but generally with our church, we have a trip of about 11 days. About half of that time is, is travel one way or the other because it's a remote area, when we leave here, we've gotten a system down where we'll leave, say, a noon on a Wednesday and get to Africa, which is what would be here in Texas about midnight, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, but there it's 5 o'clock in the morning or 6 in Senegal, and then drive for about 11 or 12 hours across Senegal and, and stay the night there, and the next morning go down to... Uh, whatever village we're going to in Mali, it generally takes about all day to, to do that. So you know, you're talking about two and a half days getting there and roughly the same getting back. Um, but then we stay five at the most six nights in villages. We've generally tried to limit it to a couple of villages, like, like Steve said, recent years, but uh, they're, they're pretty close by for geographically, sometimes it takes a long time to get from one to the other, but uh, I've got other, other videos, and we'll, if you uh, email me with interest, I can send you links to all of these videos so you can see them with sound, and uh, it's, it's pretty interesting going back a number of years ago with our church. Uh, some of the earlier trips. And um, now we are, uh, the, there's two parts of the uh, Yalunka and Mali, the two different dialects. Our church will continue with what we would consider the eastern part of uh, that. If you look at that little map on your thing, you've got kind of a little finger sticking out on one part. That's the the part that Steve and FEC are not working in, they have a slightly a different dialect. So we have work in two or three villages out that way, at least two major ones and some others that are satellites of those. Um, so we'll continue in that area, but there's also a pocket of Yolunka people across the border in Guinea. If you look at that map, there's a thick black line that 
shows the border of Guinea. And uh, there's some contacts with um, some villages there among relatives of believers we have that have uh, invited us to come down into Guinea. Now, there's a good portion of believers in Guinea that are Yalunka, but they're far down into the southern part along the, the coastal and forest areas of Guinea. This part up here is pretty much untouched even by those working in, in Senegal and things like that. So that's kind of our next frontier, and we've been trying to do this for two or three years, and because of the Ebola uh, crisis uh, in the last year or so, that we weren't able to, to do that, or wisely chose not to do that. Um, and then uh, this year we went back and kind of reestablished the plan to go back for 2017, probably in February. So um, we do need a couple of more people. Keith and I are planning to go, but uh, we'll probably do two trips. That's the plan for next year. One to uh, this Guinea area, and then another back to the uh, eastern villages of Yalunka primarily, and I mean Yalaya and uh, Jalakoto. So that's, that's the plan, and we generally take two to three people on team, four at the most because of the size of the vehicle and that kind of thing. We need our translator in there, our driver, so it kind of fills up the vehicle pretty quickly if you have more than three. But uh, any of you guys that are interested, you might want to talk to us about that. Uh, and beyond that, we're going to kind of let them do their thing in, in the villages that we started in 10 years ago. And because uh, they have a circuit, I guess you'd say like a circuit riding preacher that's going to go through with all the stories and use their language, do the discipleship. We'll touch base with them every couple of years maybe to just greet. But uh, basically they're going to handle that and our church will handle the part they're not doing. That's the plan right now. So, that makes sense. The three important things that I would add. One is that uh, the villages that we're targeting, we didn't do this on purpose. God, we looked at it one day and we thought, oh my goodness, look what God has done. The, the villages that we have actually targeted are because of relationship, the welcome back, and things like that. And when we look at that, there are other Yolanka villages around them that we're purposely not planning We've decided we're going to target the, the seven that we have great relationships with and who are wanting us to come back and teach because they share the stories. And that's why we're, so it's like God strategically placed these. These guys are looking at it. There's uh, some other villages farther uh, east speaking a little different dialect. They're going to kind of target that. And that's important. We just, and we want to get that too. So if we get more team, more team members, we would continue to spread out farther. But we feel like right now, with what we're doing, we need to stick with what we can do well. And, and one of the things we want to start doing, hopefully we'll get this implemented this dry season, which will start in January, is that we will find a, a key person, at least one, or a handful of, of key people in each village where we're staying who would be willing, and we'll prepare them in advance, that the next time we come back, during, if they will give up their workday, at least one or two workdays, we'll have lesson plans, discipleship plans, that we will start sharing with them. So that 
in the daytime while, while everybody, most of the people in the village, are, village is out working, and we're sitting around waiting for evening to come so that we can sit down and teach, which is really, seems to us Americans a waste of time, <laughs> but it's very important in that culture. But we're hoping now that we will get a, a person or a handful of people who will each time be willing to come and stay, at least give us one full day that we can do some discipleship training, preparing them for, to understand how to handle the Word of God better. And another, the other thing that I want to share is 40, 45 years ago, we were working in the country of Burkina Faso, which is, quite, is east of Mali, borders Mali to the east. And now we have, there's an established church there among five different language groups called the Evangelical Mennonite Church of Burkina Faso that we were helping to, to start way back. And that's a completely uh, independent uh, indigenous church that's going on its own. They have, they're teaching, they're training their own pastors and things. They have uh, pastors who have been to, sem- to Bible school and a few that have been to seminary. And uh, they are very interested. So they've been sending emissaries over to go on some of these trips with us. So our future, we're completely open to that as well. If God wants to send his team members from there, hallelujah, that's, that's great. And they, they love being a part of reaching another unreached people group themselves too. So it, it's, yeah, I want you to be, I hope that's encouraging to you. It's greatly encouraging to us because we don't know how God's going to build our team. We just know the harvest is ripe, and if he wants to send Burkina Bay, that's fine with us. You know, We'll take whoever uh, comes and wants to get excited about the same thing. I just wonder. Ashley is our is our Yalunka speaker, and Pat and I purposely are not learning Yalunka because our goal is not to be the teachers. We want to keep empowering the team and building a team to do that because there are many other unreached people groups in that area. So once this thing gets off the ground well, our our hope and our prayer is that God continues to send us people because we will start we will leave this team doing what they're doing among the Yalunka, and we'll start moving into Jola-speaking groups, Jahanke-speaking groups, pool groups, wherever God directs us next. We want to start, we're way too old to start learning a new language every four or five years. And so we're just working in French with a translator. Ashley is the only one on our team right now who speaks really well and is doing the stories in, in their language. But we hope that within a couple of years that we have a few more. But it's... She lived out in the village for 18 months working on language learning. And Samba. We do have a believer, a Christ follower, the man, the first translator. He told us this last year, I told him, I said at the beginning of dry season last year, I said, Samba, is there anything we can do to help you with your crops and your farm? Because we really want to do a lot of trips out this year, and I know that you're, you, know, you need to work on your farm. And he said, he said several things, but one of the things he said, Steve, he says, you're American, you came here. You know very little about our culture, you know, in, our, in Africa and so forth. Like, you know, you're not an African. And he said, Steve, I grew up in Guinea. I'm a Yalunka man. And I got, I got the chance. He was the only one out of his whole family that got, ever got to go to school. Christ saved him, healed him, changed him. He has a complete, his testimony is unbelievable. He says, what do you think are the chances that you would come from America to Katigu and I would come from Guinea to Katigu to get my education and raise my family so that they could go to school and that our paths would cross? He says, anytime you're going on an evangelism trip, I'll be with you. He says, God will take care of my crops. Samba has been on probably 30 trips or so with us out through there.
great guy, speaks the language, and he's, he's a Kamara, that's his last name. When we show up in a village where we've never been before, we tell them Samba's name, oh, you brought our brother home, home to us. You know, it's just it's an incredible thing because he's a Yalanka man. That's about it. We could speak more about different things. But I didn't really mention much uh, about the, the response of, of the people there, but uh, we have, I think, seven villages that we've worked in over the time where we've spent significant time in in the last 10 years. And in all of those, there's been at least some response to the gospel uh, where people have come to Christ and have been baptized, been literally changed by this. And, and it's one thing to say that, and like a lot of these short-term trips, you say, I will come back, there's a lot of people who came to Christ. But we've watched these people over years afterward to see that even with little training, one of the most surprising things, I guess, to me in, in this regard was uh, the chief of the village of Jalakota, which is one of the most remote villages we go to, uh, about, what, 2011 or something like that, he came to Christ, having heard the gospel for the first time. And then we were really there at that time only about one day. He heard the gospel, gave his life to Christ, and then we left. And there, there wasn't anyone besides one or two brief visits from our African pastor that goes back there to teach him or train him in the gospel. And anything other than here's how to receive Christ, here's what the message is. For three years. So you think, what's going to happen to this guy? You know, is he going to even still be considered a Christian or anything like that. So when we went back there in 2014, the first thing he wanted to do was be baptized. And he wanted us to just teach him more and more about how to live the, the gospel out. Uh, so, I mean, here literally for three years, you don't have any contact with any other believer. And, and he said that a lot of his friends, when he told them he was, you know, Christian now, follower of Jesus, they just kind of didn't hang around him anymore. They didn't want to do that. So here, here he was, in some ways, getting socially persecuted, even as the chief of the village, with no training, no Bible, nothing. And yet the Holy Spirit in his life was keep, keeping him on that path and keeping him going until someone else came. And now we've got some more opportunities to go there. We've been there a couple of years in a row. But... It's, it's good to see stuff like that and to realize this is a real change. And one of the, the quotes that I heard when I first got into this was uh, from our leader at the International Mission Board from West Africa. He said, you have the opportunity to change the spiritual history of this whole people group. You know, and that's, that's what we're about. You know, there was a time hundreds of years ago when they were animists and somebody brought Islam into that that area, and, and then that became part of their spiritual history. Well, back in 2007, we, we were a part of bringing the gospel of Christ into that area, as Steve and, and them also to other villages. And that began to change the spiritual history. And we can continue that, and God can continue to do what he's doing to use that and use them to be lights to other people in the, in the area so that's what we're praying for. And we're continuing as a church to be a part of this, and we're, we're glad to do it.
So I think we're running out of time here, but I want to say thank you to all of you guys to keep keep sending these teams out. We need them out there, and and really, we what even in the villages where we're working, they blazed that trail first. They were there before we even came and decided we were going to stay and bring long term people out there. These guys had already been there, so we already, you know, there was a there was a receptivity to most of the villages that we're working in today. Is they had already been there and shared shared God that began to prepare that path. So don't, don't discount any of that work whatsoever. That's, a, that's amazing. And I think the other thing is God is showing us how strategically he has placed us and given us relationships in the villages where, where we're going to set, to set this whole thing up. It's an ongoing effort. But thank you guys for your support to, for us. Thank you for encouraging these guys to work with us. We're being encouraged by our denomination too to work with you guys. This is we're not planning to put our name on, on any churches, like I said before. But the other thing is that one of these days, we're going to go down, down, walk up to the throne of God like this. You know, We're all going to be there to receive this crown. And the, the most beautiful thing of all that is, you guys, is that we're going to be surrounded by Yolanka. Let me pray for you and Pat before we leave here. And, uh, and Ashley, yeah. Lord, I just thank you for these workers whom you've called out into your harvest field far away in Mali. And we pray that you would continue to sustain them physically, spiritually, in a dry place where they don't uh, have a lot of other believers to encourage them. Lord, we pray that you would raise up other laborers into your harvest field, whether they're coming from other parts of West Africa or the U.S. or anywhere. We pray that you would call them out and equip them to Make disciples and share these stories and help the Yolunka people to come to faith in you and through them to reach many of these other unreached peoples all around them, Lord. We pray that you'd provide for their financial needs in every way and that, that through all of this, you would be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.